You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Today, I am sitting with Dr. Michael Rivera, who is the producer of the Archaeology and Anthropology podcast. Now, um, this is quite a recent podcast. This is one of the new ones. It releases three times a week, and it is definitely, definitely one of my favorites. It gets It's on my auto-download list. Um, so, Michael, thank you very much for coming to speak to me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I just want to start off with uh, kind of understanding what got you into the podcasting game. I, un- as I understand it, it wasn't something that you just came up with. It wasn't something that you just had the idea for. It was something you planned. So could you tell me a little bit about the background to what kind of inspired you to think about doing a podcast as opposed to some other form of like public outreach like a blog? Uh, that's a great question, and uh, a story that I love telling other people about. It's something that I told my family and my friends quite a lot about before uh, before the first episode went out. Um, I first conceived of this back in in the summer of 2017, and so that's quite a long time ago, right? And I remember that summer I was talking to a lot of schools, a lot of public audiences about archaeology and anthropology. And what I noticed was that, you know, I was spending about an hour's time uh, lecturing, or I was maybe doing a workshop with some some skeletons in front of me for two hours with, uh, with a class of 20 kids. And I was always, I just felt that there was something uh, itching at me that, you know, I could only speak to these 20 kids or these, this public audience of 100 people at a time. And I always thought, is there a way for me to to reach even more people by by investing the same amount of time? Is there is there another medium, um, you know, that I can use to to do this? Because um, there there are only a select few of us uh, archaeologists and anthropologists who can who already have the audience and you know who can sell out an entire theater, maybe at the Royal uh, Royal uh, Science 
I forgot what it's called now, the uh, at the Royal Society um, and or at the British Museum. But you know, for a lot of us who are very passionate about outreach, I, I really wanted a, a different way of of doing outreach that could uh, you know feature more of us and 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 not already people with a profile. So. Uh, that was really what the motivation was, because uh, at the time I was listening to a lot of other podcasts, not about what we do, but about, you know, television and movies, about comedy. Um, I listened to a lot of radio for, for all my life, actually, because I, I just uh, enjoy the, the medium that, that is the podcasting medium, where you get to learn about things, you get to be challenged on your views, um, you know, depending on the host or depending on on who hosts get as as guests sharing their ideas. And it's also just entertainment and a way to um, have something in the background going while you're uh, running data analysis, which a lot of scientists have to do, or when you're you know on your commute, on your way to work, or when you're at the gym working out, right? So uh, I, I just thought, you know, why not merge this uh, enjoyment that I have of podcasts with my outreach goals and, and put the two together? So what was uh, special about podcasts in particular? Was it just the radio stuff? Or, I mean, w w did you ever consider maybe taking doing videos on YouTube instead? Uh, yeah, I, I did consider other forms. And uh, when I was a teenager, you know, back in those days when you had a, a blogger site, uh, some people still do, of course, and uh, or, you know, you, you had MySpace, you had Zanga, you know, all of these, uh, you know, things of the distant past now where, um, you know, I, I was a teenager and I, I always spent a lot of my time online and I would blog about my life or something funny that happened to me that day. Um, if you if you search in the right way, you might you might be able to dig out some of those things. And I find them really embarrassing now, of course, because they're just the ramblings of a teenager. Um, but, uh, you know, I did I did consider other media. Um, I I really admired podcasters in particular. I, I listened to a lot of podcasts that um, I just thought were really well done. Um, in the UK, we have a, a program called QI, or quite interesting, where you know Stephen Fry or um, at the at the moment Sandy Torxvig hosts, and you know it's all about trivia, right? And so this was one of my favorite podcasts. And the 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 assistants who would do research for the show for this trivia show. Um, they hosted their own podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish, right? And that was one of the, the, one of the key things that I really liked about it, where they were sharing uh, really nerdy information, a lot of knowledge, a lot of research had gone into it, and they were sharing it in this humorous, personal, um, comedic way that I, I really admired. And uh, I just thought that, you know, this was, the, this was the one that I wanted to experiment with. Uh, blogging I used to do. Um, I'm, I actually have plans to to restart one very soon, but um, it was just something exciting. I, I think that podcasting, uh, especially in the sciences or the humanities and the arts, it's still something that's not really m popular as as a way of sh of doing outreach and uh, in a way that excited me because it is so new. Uh, blogging has been around for a long time, and many people do that. I wanted to try something different and, and challenge myself. Well, Michael, you have to count yourself lucky that you aren't like me who has a podcast since they were 16. Because uh, that is even 
in some ways worse, in my opinion, to hear how one sounded when that one was that age. So uh, that's that's definitely uh, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from with the uh, old old material content. Sorry, what specifically uh, did you do to kind of prepare yourself for what would become the Arc and Anth podcast? Um, was that was it always that name? Was it always that idea? Um, did you have any other ideas? Um, I remember when uh, the first thing that I did was I bought a book that was called Podcasting for Dummies. And uh, in it, it ran through everything that you need to know, basically, because even though I was a, uh, I was a, a PhD student at the time and really highly trained in, in this specific field of study, I had no idea what I was doing in terms of podcasting. So from podcasting for dummies, I learned a lot about um, the equipment that you would need. And it's not just physical hardware that you need, but a lot of software for audio recording and editing. Um, a lot goes into that process. You need to think about um, server space. That's very important. And how much server space you you need, because uh, the ways the ways that the servers uh, cost is is by the megabyte. And so you can only upload a certain amount or there are some plans which allow you to, you know, upload unlimited amounts of, of minutes, but, but those will be more pricey. And so there's a lot of logistics and a lot of different steps to the process that I, I found that you had to worry about. So um, when I was looking at especially the programs that I would need, the hardware, like the microphones and the mixer that I would need, um, the server costs. Those were the things that I knew they cost money and that really worried me at first. So um, I, I, I realized uh, where I was going to at university, at the University of Cambridge, they had a public engagement office and uh, they have been really fantastic support during this whole process. They had a, a starter grant for anyone who wanted to do a outreach project. Um, so other projects that they funded, uh, in my department at least, I, I know that the, in the previous year, the year before I got my funding, they were funding a, a board game, a board game based on uh, ancient civilizations uh, created by two archaeologists in my department. And so, you know, they were already sort of uh, interested in supporting our department's outreach goals. And I applied and I was really fortunate to get a... Um, a good sum of money from them to help buy all this stuff and help set me up. Um, the next stage was to think about the the name, as you as you mentioned. And you know, when I wrote the application, I thought I would. Uh, I thought the title might actually be something different. I thought it would be the science of bones. And um, but you know, I thought about it a little bit more. And when I was an undergraduate student, um, it was a lot different from my PhD training, because when you're an undergraduate student, you're exposed to almost all the areas of archaeology that there can be. So not just working with skeletons and not just osteoarchaeology, but but also um, looking at pottery and looking at uh, other kinds of bioarchaeology, like using stable isotopes and using uh, you know radiocarbon dating methods. And in anthropology, there's not just the biological aspect even though that's very broad, of course. It's not just bones, but genes, the other primates that, that are really close, closely related to us. We, we, we look at their behavior and their biology quite a lot. 
And there's, of, of course, there's social anthropology and linguistic anthropology, medical anthropology. And I just thought I would widen it up. And, and so I came up with the name of simply the Ark and Anth podcast. Um, I worried at the time that people wouldn't immediately recognize it. Maybe they might think, is that like architecture and something else that we, we don't understand? But, you know, I, I just tried to make it as clear as possible. Um, the design of my logo, for example, makes it very clear what it could be about. It looks like there is, um, you know, a, a human skull on it with, uh, with a good double helix of a DNA strand running through it. A trowel is, is on my uh, logo. And so... You know, I, I just wanted to make it very clear what I was doing. And then um, for about almost a year and a half, I was just simply preparing what I was going to re record. I think um, you, you've definitely highlighted all the things that if somebody came to me to ask about how to make a podcast, it was definitely those are the kind of things I think someone ought to consider. I think it's, it's really important that um, I think when it comes to podcasts, people don't recognize or realize how much effort and hard work really does go in. If if we take you, if I take you back to those first kind of episode planning days, um, was there any kind of like goal that you had set for your, your first podcast episode? Was there anything that you were you felt like you had to kind of have in it? Um, and how did your first episode then end up going? Uh, that's a really great question. I, I, I love thinking back to this time because, you know, I was about to embark on something that I knew would fundamentally change my life, right? Uh, it's a, As you say, it's a really big undertaking. It's a big uh, chunk of my time, uh, something that I, I think about. Uh, you know, this project is something I think about every single day of my life. And I knew that going forward, I would continue to think about it for so long as the as the podcast uh, was was active. And so there was a lot of pressure, uh, mostly just for myself, you know, my, my partner and my my family and friends, they were all supportive of this, this idea. But, you know, I was scared that, um, that that it wouldn't be received well, that, um, that I wouldn't do justice to the field. Because I was I was worried that maybe I hadn't uh, learned enough, uh, you know, sound editing skills, interview skills. Um, I, I couldn't make a compelling show. So, but you know, uh, just like many other things in in academia that I had prepared for, uh, preparing to go to conferences or preparing to you know write up very long scientific reports, I knew that all it took was just preparation, and I thought very carefully about what format. I wanted to use and and what my my message would want to be with the podcast. So I wanted to um, with the podcast show the breadth of our discipline. First of all, I wanted to uh, you know hopefully share with general audiences uh, what makes our scholarship so interesting. Um, maybe have an educational aspect about the you know theoretical and and sort of uh, scientific concepts that, that ground all of our ideas. And I also wanted to um, show the personal journeys taken to become anthropologists as well. That was a very important aspect to me because um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it helps people, especially in, in outreach, to hear people's story. When you uh, bombard people with facts, it doesn't, it doesn't translate as well. Like people are not as receptive to new information 
when it just comes across like you're you're bombarding people with a lot of information. And uh, so, you know, I, I decided that what I would do is is not host the show myself. I would interview experts much much like you do. And I would have a different voice coming on the show uh, every every episode. And through that as well, um, I've, I've very carefully selected who my podcast guests would be. And in the very beginning, I knew that the first episode had to be someone where I knew that I could guarantee I would have good rapport with, I, uh, who was a good speaker, who had interesting research, not just, um, you know, in, in one aspect, but, you know, was doing a in, very interdisciplinary work. And so I interviewed my, uh, one of my best friends in biological anthropology, my friend, Dr. Sarah Louise de Croza. Um, at the moment, she's a lecturer at the University of Victoria on the, on the West coast of Canada. And she uh, does really fascinating in, uh, research about how do, how do girls um, grow and develop into women skeletally, and especially around their, their pelvic region, where um, the pelvis has to be adapted for uh, locomotion and any obstetric, you know, childbirth related needs. And, and so, uh, because that that hasn't been, uh, you know, looked at in earlier anthropology, but in the last 20 years, this is a burgeoning area of research, looking at girls and women's health. And, you know, so this is kind of like, very interesting because she she talked about you know cultural aspects of childbirth uh, biological aspects of childbirth and she's a great great storyteller she she even hosts her own uh, youtube channel um where she and my other friend michelle where uh they they host something called humans in five and you know uh, they're basically like five minute videos about anthropology and and so I knew she would be a good speaker and we, we actually did that. How did I feel that it went? Well, I, I remember that we actually recorded twice and not a lot of people know that, but I think that both, both, both of us, but more so me, uh, were a little bit nervous because we knew it would be episode one. And in the first take, we were so nervous <laughs> we we kept um we kept flubbing over our lines we we didn't know how to have a natural conversation because we we kept thinking oh no we have to we have to hit this point this point this point um you know what if people who are listening have no idea what what archaeology and what anthropology is so we need to start from the beginning and we need to explain it um in in, in great detail um and so we worry quite a lot about that uh when i was editing the first episode I, I felt like I also didn't know how to edit a show. I'd never done it before, even though I had read quite a lot of blogs and watched a lot of YouTube videos about how to do it. But, you know, it was, it was really trying to get over that fear of how do I do this for the first time? And so uh, I realized that we probably needed to record again. We did this, did the second take. The second take was much better and almost perfect, required very little editing. Um, and I was so, so happy that as soon as it went out, um, a lot of people wanted to share it. I feel like I have been online and very um, sort of well-connected in my network quite uh, for quite a while now, for a number of years during my PhD. And a lot of people were craving projects like this. They, they want people to do outreach, but everybody is so um, busy and 
you know, have a lot of other commitments that they just couldn't do it themselves. And I think that I, I was really just grateful for everybody's support. And they were retweeting the first episode, they were sharing it, and they were listening to it and giving, giving uh, you know, positive feedback to it. And so I was really happy, um, you know, that I had the time, I had fortunately got some money to start it. And, you know, from there, it was, it was three episodes a week. And that's, that's just, uh, that's really, really great to hear. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you did, you know, it's, it's important to get things right. And it's important to kind of, I, I always say, um, I think some of my first episodes were not, you know, not to the standard I would now expect them to be. And I think that's the same for everyone. I think there's a lot of self-discovery that you go through making a podcast. Uh, I've, struggled sometimes to find the niche that my podcast fills because I'm always kind of discovering new ways of editing and new ways that I want to present the information. And I'm slowly getting to the point where I've realized that uh, I actually do better in one-on-one interviews than I do kind of doing a monologue. Uh, even though I can monologue at someone for hours on end, I, I, I struggle with it just me and the microphone. Um, I, I kind of want to ask, so what is, what is like one of the big lessons that you've learned about your own style and taste in editing your podcasts and producing them? Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, at the very beginning, I, I had a vague idea of who I would want to feature because, um, three episodes a week is quite a lot is what I was told, um, by a lot of people out there. And I, I remember, um, that there's another uh, podcast. It's it's about television, uh, about reality television, in fact, um, about the show Survivor. And it sounds really silly, but I borrowed a lot of inspiration from that show. Um, so the the show is called Rob Has a Podcast. is It's, it's hosted by uh, Rob Sesternino, who was a former uh, Survivor contestant. And it sounds really silly, um, you know, talking about reality TV. But he he releases about seven or eight episodes a week. Um, and he has lots of different co-hosts and and lots of other people who host the show for him in different segments uh, related to the show. And so that was where my thinking uh, came from to do three a week because uh, I, I could then feature more people, more voices, and you know also cover a lot of different topics in the same week. And you know, I, I think that as long as people are uh, hearing interesting content, they will show up, they will download the episodes, and they will give it a shot, no matter what the topic is. Because um, I think that when you get anthropologists and archaeologists speaking about the thing that they have dedicated so much time to doing, what comes out inherently will be a, a passion, uh, sort of a, a very passionate interview about what they care about, right? And um, at the very beginning, I, I interviewed a lot of my friends first or people that I had uh, good good relationships with online where we had followed each other on Twitter for a while. Um, of course, this took a year and a half to plan. So I did mention it to a lot of people uh, from my own students to uh, professors who, who were visiting Cambridge to, to give a talk. I would mention it to them. And, uh, you know, some of them said, whenever you launch this thing, I want to support you. I want to help you out. Uh, if I can be, uh, you know, an expert guest, then please have me on the show anytime. I'm happy to do it. And so I'm so 
so grateful for the first, uh, you know, 10 or 15 guests who showed up. Um, they were speaking about all kinds of things like, um, you know, Mexican, um, you know, Mesoamerican archaeology. They were talking about uh, primates and that the first, you know, primates, when, when did the first primate evolve from other animals? Um, I've had so many guests talk about all sorts of things, uh, animal bones, human bones, about ceramics, about disease and health in the past, and from all over the world as well. Um, how it's changed since then is, is I've been very conscious over what exactly I'm going to include in the show and, and very careful about who I select as guests. There, there's also, um, you know, right now, I think as we, as we speak, there are uh, 60 episodes out. There is a broad representation of experts uh, of all subdisciplines within anthropology. And, you know, I, I keep looking for the gaps. I keep looking at where have I not, you know, addressed a very important area of our field yet. How can I do that? And, you know, now we enter the second phase of, of, of the podcast. This is how I perceive it. I'm, you know, after I recorded 10 or 15 episodes, that's, that's four or five weeks of podcasting. Right. And, now we're now we're, we're we're thinking about you know where do we ca carry this forward now now that it's you know beginning to be a, a well-oiled machine i started to think about you know are there opportunities here to feature guests of all genders of all nationalities of all socioeconomic backgrounds and academic stages of all ethnicities of all sexualities and, and other significant axes right because a lot of the time um, when we're thinking about, you know, who does the science or who does the archaeology or who does the social anthropology, I think that um, sometimes public perception is that you're probably going to look like Lara Croft or Indiana Jones, or you're going to look like um, maybe David Attenborough. But the reality is, is that, you know, many people contribute to the, to these fields and they might not be what you expect. And so, you know, I, I've been very proud to feature so many, um, you know, disabled scholars and women and racialized scholars and, and other minoritized uh, anthropologists, giving them this, this platform to highlight their research. Um, I really always try to, to share their academic journeys. I, I love getting to know what motivates them and, and sort of how did they grow into the researcher or the practitioner that they currently are. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this going basically. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to making some changes actually in the, in the next few weeks and months. That's a really good point that I actually want to stay on a little tiny bit is, um, the breadth and diversity of that, of that kind of like roster of, uh, speakers. Cause it's something that I think archeology span has as a broad demo, like as a broad kind of discipline, it actually has a lot of really amazing, passionate people who I think when it comes to traditional forms of media, uh, don't get, don't get picked because they don't fit what is expected of in a TV program of what an archeologist is. And, um, I, I think that podcasts provide, a really good way of uh, exposing people to the wide range of thoughts. Um, but in particular, I'd like to know what 
I'd like to know more about the motivation that you had to even study archaeology and, and or anthropology. Why why did you even come to was it, your place of um, research was Cambridge? So why Cambridge and why archaeology? Why the past? So uh, I would say like my first exposure to this field uh, came a very long time ago when I was about 13. Um, I grew up in Hong Kong and uh, I'm a Filipino Chinese uh, person. A lot of people, um, you know, in Hong Kong, they, they don't really, they're not really aware of history and culture. It's not that it's not there. Um, that the that the arts and cultural studies are, are not happening there, but it's really understated in Hong Kong. Um, I loved going to the history museum. I loved going to um, you know see see uh, theater that was you know based on historical periods. And uh, but the problem was that if you wanted to study these disciplines, you you couldn't do it in Hong Kong um, as much. So there was a, a lot of social anthropology. There was some archaeology happening in the museums, but these departments were always a little bit underfunded in comparison to other fields like engineering or law or, or medicine, right? And so um, initially, I, I watched a lot of TV. I was sort of, uh, you know, I, I again, I, I lived on the internet and, you know, I, I was being exposed to some television shows. Uh, one of them was Bones, and I watched in Bones this, this uh, you know, really badass scientist uh, temperance brennan who would use human remains and tell the stories of people who, who could no longer tell them um mainly based in in forensic cases but you know there were a couple of times where she also did archaeological cases and i just wanted to to know whether this was a real thing and when it came time to applying for universities i knew i didn't want to stay in hong kong i wanted to uh you know, live somewhere different. I'm very proud of coming from Hong Kong, but uh, it, it was just sort of, I, I wanted to explore the world a little bit more. And I remember flipping through the, through the, through the book that, of, of subjects that you can do at university. And I remember looking at like, oh, accounting, probably not. Um, <laughs> but then it was, uh, you know, anthropology and archaeology. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I just thought, oh, wow, this is that thing that I saw in that TV show. It is all about people. I've always been fascinated by people, by, by living in this, you know, very multicultural, um, you know, metropolis, such as Hong Kong, where there's, you know, seven point something million people there in a very small amount of space. I've always been interested in people and what motivates them and how are we different or how are we similar? This was the subject for me. Um, I applied to schools in Canada, in Australia, and in the UK. In the end, I went to the University of, uh, of Kent in Canterbury, and uh, that's where I did my bachelor's degree. And, and that was where I was uh, you know, really introduced to all the subdisciplines within anthropology. Um, and then in the end, uh, I, I knew that you know, uh, I, I, I really wanted to do research. I uh, got the opportunity in my undergrad to do this research about, um, you know, medieval English uh, remains and, you know, telling the stories of people from that time period. And I was just fascinated by it. So I went to Cambridge and, you know, did my, my master's degree there, my PhD degree in, in many of the similar questions of, you know, the older um, the remains are or, you know, the further back in time we go, 
it gets harder to to suss out you know what what people were doing but you know it really it it just is what drives me it's almost like it it motivates me to to want to find out more so that we can find out more about our our common history and our common heritage uh you know where do we all come from and and why do, why do we exist the way that we do well we can look back into history and even prehistory to find out those answers so yeah i would say that that is my uh origin story if you will it's a good one. Uh, it's it's a particularly good origin story. I like it. I'm. I know you said you were very active on social media before all of this. Uh, I want to contrast that a little bit with my experience, which was the only reason I got active on social media is because I started the podcast because I felt beforehand um, I couldn't actually talk to anybody about archaeology without having a reason to talk to them. You know, I had my bachelor's. And I kind of felt very much uh, I had no reason I had nobody would want to talk to me unless I had something to offer. And so having done podcasts in the past, that was kind of my my way in. Um, how do you feel about getting to talk to other archaeology and anthropology podcasters? What's it like out there in the podcasting world? <laughs> um, well, that's a great question. Uh, I. You know, I, I hadn't, I talked to some people who were doing podcasting before. So um, specifically in the realm of like what I do, which is working with, uh, you know, uh, fossils or, or modern human remains, I knew that there was some podcasting happening. Um, I know that Ohio State University has a great podcast called A Story of Us. There is another one um, by uh, two of our friends uh, who host The Dirt. Um, and I really love the Dirt podcast. It's, it's really well done. Um, another one hosted by the Leaky Foundation called Origins is really good. Um, I, 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 I don't know, but I also felt that it was still quite new. And even though there were these uh, few individuals who were really putting in a lot of effort and getting a lot of outreach done, um, it wasn't something that a lot of academics, you know, in, inside our fields uh, were, were aware of. Um, that was happening in in some universities or or some institutions, and you know, getting to know some of them now, and you know, now we're beginning to, you know, now I'm now I'm I guess uh, more established now than I than I was uh, when I first began in May. You know, now we're talking about guesting on each other's shows, or you know, just sharing ideas about like where, where how we think the medium is going. I think it's really great to to talk to other people who have a similar goal and uh, have a similar process uh, in working like there are many ways of doing this of course but when it really boils down to it it's it's you know inviting guests recording them and then editing the show and then releasing them and then advertising them on social media right so we, we go through all the same processes uh, broadly speaking and it's just good to get advice from people um, i remember talking to anna goldfield uh, who hosts co-hosts the the dirt podcast before i even launched it and you know she she gave me a lot of uh, useful advice about how to get started and i i i think that you know where where you can find friends who who have a similar uh view you have to sort of hang on to them and um you know keep each other in the loop about how it's going because and at the end of the day we 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 all benefit from more interest in archaeology podcasting uh and we all benefit in terms of you know if, if someone is interested in your show 
they're more likely to listen to my show and then maybe move on to the to the origin show or move on to uh, anthro dish this this great podcast by my friend sarah who talks about food you know all you know the more the more interest uh that is gained and the more success that each of us as individuals have you know it we can we can spread that around as well uh it, it benefits all of us actually that, that's the i couldn't have put it any way better like uh, this is one of the things about indie podcasts and kind of like podcasts that are kind of meant for like a for public benefit it benefits everyone to share that information and share that knowledge i think i have listened started listening to so many podcasts of different varieties just from uh, like somebody being a guest on somebody else's show um and i think it's so important that we do the support and we do the we make the effort to kind of lift each other up because at the end of the day um when i've done research about archaeology podcasts the main thing is that the field is much bigger than people expect uh uh but that's a product of people feeling quite isolated or people just you know just the, a lot of people listen without interacting and i find this definitely for my show sometimes i feel like nobody's listening and sometimes i feel as if um i'm making it for just me which for some episodes i am but it's it's one of these things where a lot of your hard work can sometimes it can sometimes feel like it's not actually um it's not you're actually not doing anything or making a difference and this is why i've always tried to recently uh boost posts i've always tried to make an effort to like share content and help other people out because you know archaeology podcasting has been around since the late 90s um one of the earliest podcasts that i can find a record for is the audio news podcast from archaeologica which is still going um but even tracing even more recently uh there's been a number of podcasts that were really popular at the time but then disappeared so i'm slowly trying to draw a big huge collection of podcasts in archaeology and anthropology so as that people have a resource to kind of look at and i'm particularly interested in non-english speaking podcasts as well as english speaking podcasts because i think there's one of the things about podcasts that make them uh, the, the, one of the issues is that a lot of people just think that public outreach needs to be in English to get to the widest audience, but that's not always uh, the case. Um, so I think actively there are about 68 uh, archaeology podcasts that are pretty active um, at the moment, but I'm that's a list I'm constantly trying to add to. Is there anything that you would want to share with somebody who wants to make a podcast, an archaeology podcast? podcast. That's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, I I definitely welcome anyone who who wants to do it. There there is no um, sort of limit to the space online uh, in terms of who gets to do this, because um, I I think, uh, again, it goes back to this thing where I think that you know, representation of, of all the different people that we, that we work with, who are our colleagues all around the world. That's, that's really important. And we need to highlight that. Um, there's a lot of discussion nowadays about diversifying and being very inclusive about who gets to practice the, 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 the archeology span or the anthropology. But I also think 
that this discussion extends to also, uh, you know, diversifying, decolonizing, expanding who, who also is, is public facing in outreach initiatives as well, because, uh, if, if we're going to, um, you know, do work that is relevant to, you know, broader society, then, then who we put in front as the public communicators needs to reflect the public that we're speaking to. Right. And so we cannot have only the, you know, the most senior white dudes talk about what we do. We need, we need everybody to do that. And, you know, that's why I really encourage anyone who wants to do podcasting or even blogging or, or, or creating YouTube channels to do it. And it will always seem scary. Uh, like I, I've given advice to other people who wanted to uh, do podcasts about politics or about law or about chemistry. I've, I've done that for some other people who, who have come across my podcast. And what I tell them is that it, it definitely is a learning curve, especially at the beginning. But once you get into the groove of it, and, you know, once you get, start to hear that, you know, one person has heard this episode, five people have listened to this episode, 50, 100, 200 people have listened to the episode, it starts to get better. And it starts to really feel like you have an impact and um, that you're, you're having a positive uh, effect on how the public is perceiving your field. Um, I actually think that, you know, a lot of the time, I borrow a lot of what I do in podcasting from what I learned in academia, because it's a lot of the same uh, communication skills, at least from my point of view. I, I worried a lot of the time that, you know, no one would listen to the podcast. But, you know, what, what really strikes me is that uh, it depends on, you know, how you how you present your show and how you present your guests. If it's about the people, and not about the information that they're sharing. That's important too. But most of all, if people are invested in in the in you, and they feel like they have a connection to your project, they have a they have a connection to, um, you know, what other people are doing, a personal connection. They're going to invest their time into it. Um, it's something that I try to tell a lot of people when I was training people in outreach back in Cambridge. There were these uh, master's students and undergrads who wanted to, who wanted to try science communication. And what I would always tell them, it's, it's about storytelling. It's about, you know, putting yourself out there. If I were to, you know, tell you uh, about, I don't know, uh, dental caries or dental decay on teeth, uh, I could run you through the science of it. I could run you through the anatomy of it and the, the disease process of it, but it won't be as effective um, as me telling you, you know, something that I really wanted to understand was how people lived on the coast in prehistory and what they were eating. And one, one of those ways was to look at dental decay. I struggled so hard to figure out a way to do this. Um, I, I, you know, personally took out two months to, to fly to Estonia in the middle of November. It was dark. I was, I was kind of lonely while I was on field work. You know, people want to listen to these stories. And that's why I always try to bring out of my guests. Um, and, you know, that's what it's really all about because all of us are trying to reach uh, what makes us human. And so in a way, it's a little bit scary, but we, you have to put yourself out there a little bit um, and you have, to, you have to show your humanity a little bit in order for, for all of this, uh, you know, humanistic information to be communicated quite well. So that's my biggest advice and has always been my advice to people who want to do podcasting or 
um, to, to do outreach in general is to make it more personal and tell a story. In view of that, I remember speaking to somebody and I kind of bounded around the idea that, um, you know, podcasts are kind of like uh, oral histories or they're kind of like they're segments of information that are I don't really, I don't like the term on demand because I think that kind of um, it, it devalues what podcasts can represent. I think the important thing there that you picked up on was this personal connection. So I'm wondering if uh, you could tell me a bit about um, uh, you've said, for example, your friends and family um, are really supportive of the show. Has your partner come on the show ever? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I have had 60 guests and some of them I had never, I had never spoken to before. I haven't, I hadn't even tweeted at them before, but I came across um, maybe one of their TEDx university um, presentations and thought it looked good. And I, I sent them an email and the first time I ever spoke to them or even learned what they do was right on the microphone as we aired. And then there's a whole spectrum of uh, from from that where I, I interviewed professors that I really admired um, from afar, and then you know then it gets closer. I interviewed my friends and colleagues that I had worked with before, people I'd met at conferences, and I, I've interviewed, like I said before, m- one of my best friends, Sarah Louise De Croza. I've also interviewed uh, my partner Massimo, who doesn't do anything that we do. He is he's an international lawyer, and yeah, like I. I was just very happy to do it because it's um, it's he he himself is an academic. He has a PhD himself in international law. He does something very interesting. I don't think that I could I could I would be with him like uh, or or be interested in his work if it wasn't interesting. So, you know, he he helps international courts uh, you know make decisions and does research for courts. And I think that you know it's really admirable, important work. So. You know, in anthropology and archaeology, there's very little in the world that doesn't fall in the realm of of anthropology. You can pretty much talk about anything as long as it, as as long as humans are involved. And uh, you know, I was very proud of that episode. Um, I have had thoughts about you know, I would love to interview my mom one day. She's a, an amazing woman. Uh, she she worked for many years as a teacher and she worked her way up to become the acting principal of a school for um for disabled children and i you know i've thought about that as well and so yeah i i think that there's no um limit to who you can you, you can interview and yeah but the, but the episode with massimo was one of my my favorite ones that's really great so if people do want to listen to your show and like follow uh, things that you do online, what's the best way to go and find all that? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, the Arcananth podcast, you can find at Arcananth pod at all of the social media channels like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and Instagram. Um, and you can also just find the show. If you want to download the episodes or subscribe to the show, you can just go on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you normally find podcasts. Um, if you want to follow me, then I'm uh, on Twitter at Rivera Michael, where I normally tweet about um, issues that are going on in academia, where I do a lot of outreach as well and talk about the process of, you know, what is it like being a scientist or being an anthropologist 
what is my day-to-day life like? I, I try to demystify that and show people that, you know, there are some good days where, um, you know, a conference happens and I presented a, a talk very, um, you know, what I think is successfully at least. And there are also bad days where, you know, writing up a paper is not going well. Uh, you know, I, I try to really show people what it's like to be, to do what we do. If you want to follow me on Instagram as well, then uh, I'm at Dr. Michael Rivera. And there I post a little bit more about like my personal life, but there's still a little bit of science and outreach in there as well. Thank you so much again uh, for coming and speaking to me and uh, all the best. Thank you, Tristan, for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.